G'day, welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Murch, the producer and host of Cameron Wade of The Addicts is our feature guest this episode. We'll hear from them in a moment. But first, let's dive in the box. Press Club, the band, have released a new album, Wasted Energy, with the latest single from it, with a music clip to go with, called Thinking About You. Shot on a farm just outside of Ballarat in Victoria, Australia, Wasted Energy is a follow-up album to their well-received debut, Late Teens, and they'll be touring extensively through the latter part of 2019. Pinkish Blue Superstar bridges the 80s and the 90s presented for today. We'll link the video in the show notes to today's episode. A Rubik's Cube also makes an appearance too. Party on the Couch states Jasmine Ray for their latest with a new studio album from them in 2020. Cut produced by Lindsay Jackson who's worked with Jessica Mayboy and the McClimates. Kate Sobrano plus Steve Kilby and Sean Sennett have combined their musical depths to release through Universal Monument City Lights 1973. To quote the release, recalls Bowie's Berlin with the mood of a David Lynch film. From Kilby and Sennett riding in a cramped beachside apartment, then Sobrano added her penship. There was something dramatic and potent in this poem, a nostalgic revive, assaults Sobrano. The mood had to be the 70s, it's tight jeans, bad skin and kissing in dark places, an indelible tattoo on the psyche. I hope it reminds you of these things and more, she said. One more, this one from Sony, Taylor May, original, that has been produced by Stuart Stewart, may know their work from the Veronica's Shepherd or Dean Lewis, May originally from Queensland and Australia. They came from the Share Space Project, now for their new stage with music, That's a few that have landed in my inbox. Let's now head to our feature guest. The Addicts have performed at Indie Week in Toronto, as well as across in the US in both New York and Detroit. While on home soil in Australia, the band has performed at many formative band rooms, as well as having an informed eye over By the Meadow Festival. With their latest, Instant Feed, they draw inspiration from the ever-deepening relationship with social media and curated lives online to a potential global audience. Cameron Wade from the band joined Radio Notes on the line to find out more. The band's name comes from a three-piece American group. It was probably a series of things that all seemed to fit together very nicely. There's a band from the US called The Antlers that I was heavily obsessed with for several years and there was two albums there that were quite um, pivotal and quite formative for my taste in music from when I was leaving high school. And one of those records was called In the Attic of the Universe. It just so happened that at the same time we used to do our band practice upstairs my parents' place and it was sort of just underneath the roof of their house and where I wrote the songs in my bedroom, sitting on the bed, the roof of the house just sort of sloped over my head as well. So all three things coming together and me as an 18-year-old going, oh, this must be or whatever I was at the time. So I that was a good name for the band. That was back in 2011 or so, so we're talking eight or nine years ago. This was the first band that I was ever in, so I think some of those early years, they don't even probably reflect at all on what we do now or who we are now or what, what we sort of think about and what guides the way that we write now. But I think everyone that's playing in bands and writing music has to have those experiences to get to where they want to be or get an idea of what it is that they want a band to be for them. What ignited you to decide that music was something that was part of Cam's life? 
I found that sort of jumping on the internet after, you know, after you've done your homework and everything else at night, I could just get lost and just go for hours just going down tangents of, of band after band after band. That's probably where I, I really started to get into pop music, I guess. You have actually played Indie Week. I, I went over and travelled and did a, a, a tour by myself without the band in the US, one show across the border into Canada. A very different sort of setup. I write a lot of our music with programming software now, so I had to rely more heavily on that to play as part of the band and then change the songs a little bit to suit that setup. But it, it went really well. We played a show in New York, a show in Detroit, a show at Toronto, which was packed. You mentioned that you played Detroit. It was a dive bar called Old Miami, and I remember just emailing the guy, and it was a very weird email conversation interested in having me there and it was just a matter of finding the right night and then eventually he found a band that was a local act that draws quite a big crowd and um, has has a good following there and in a suitable vein and I remember getting an email back maybe a month or so after I first contacted him and he eventually said oh yeah you can come and join this lineup so I played in this dive bar in Detroit with some soul electronic headliner <laughs> I don't I don't know why it really fits for, for the guy booking the venue but it was a fun night. Again, it was packed. As a musician, was there a sense of responsibility to give them, the audience, your all and maybe to warm them to your music? I think maybe even more so because you play here so often that, you know, a lot of the people who come to see shows here would just get another opportunity to come and you, you might get that, you know, second, third or fourth chance with people if they like your recordings that they'll come back and watch it again and again. I mean, over there I was never going to get that. But you also feel sort of responsible for... I mean, maybe a lot of people in those small dive bars are not going to go out and watch big touring Australian bands. So you've kind of got a, a small responsibility to represent small scale or emerging Australian music well as well, I think. I note that you're the festival director of By the Meadow Festival. You've done some serious research. I don't think there's many places where we, we connect the band with the festival. We, we've obviously had our chance to play it before because it's our festival, but um, we don't we don't tend to talk too much about it so that um it's, it's almost overwhelming now that the festival's taking up a lot of time it's sometimes taking priority over the band so the band's kind of been half asleep the first half of this year just because we're dealing with the, the 2019 festival and that's now why our music's coming out in the latter half of the year it's a fascinating but, idea both the festival as well as a band that is focused on doing a festival it started out of a 21st birthday party and and then the next year, there was another 21st birthday party. And the year afterwards, we didn't have any 21st. So kept it going as a festival. And I think in my mind, growing up and going to festivals all the time, they were they were things that, you know, you'd always go to them. And I, I don't know why, maybe, maybe other people have the same feeling. But I was, I want to curate my own learner. I want to pick the bands that come and play these things. Once we sort of started that, the 21st in that direction, it sort of was like, well, I'm not letting go of this. I want to keep doing this. And it's sort of grown what it is now I think people are pretty happy with it we've got a really supportive crowd and a lot of return customers who have been for like five or six years in a row now so I think we've built a really nice what I like to call a temporary community that sort of appears once a year Who have you had on board and who are you looking forward to in the future to have on board? Last year we had Lucy Takis from the US which was amazing all the way through to like local acts with cult followings like Vasco Era which were you know, maybe half the people at the festival probably weren't even in high school when they were when they were really doing their thing, but um, they were received really well. That was just two from last year's one that was particularly exciting. Outside of your own festival, what's been one of your favourite festivals you've been to? 
I went to Dark Moto this year, which was eye-opening and, and definitely inspiring. At a more local level, things like New Year's Eve and then Meredith and Golden Plains here for us, they're definitely um, very much what I sort of aspire to be able to produce. Maybe not something so big, but something with the same sort of following or the same sort of appreciation from their crowd would be that, that would be where I want to be. Speaking currently in the capacity of Festival Director of By the Meadows Festival, what's some of the most challenging aspects as a festival director to get things off the ground? I guess the biggest thing is the, the financial side of it. We, we've always sort of tried to steer the festival away from sponsorships and corporate money, but you know, and and in favour of sort of, I guess one example, all, all the alcohol that we sell through our bars is produced within about 20 minutes to the site. But, but that sort of denies us the opportunity to go out to someone like Cooper's or Mountain Goat and ask for thousands of dollars to pour their beer at the festival. So financially, we, we probably stick ourselves in a bit of a hard place there, but it's something that we believe in, and it just means that, that maybe we need, you know, we need to be a bit more careful when we come to taking risks with money elsewhere because we, we don't have the amount of guaranteed money coming back in every year that other events might have. Keeping it local as well, you do invite one band that is from the local area. How successful has that been to engage local scene in that way? Yeah, we only started that more recently, and I think maybe it's because now I spend a lot more time in Melbourne and probably could even be a little bit ignorant to what's going on back home and, and where I grew up. But there's definitely stuff around, and we, we sort of worked with a local music magazine to get that off the ground and communicate that we you know we want to grab someone locally that's doing cool stuff or and, and probably more aimed at a younger band to sort of get them on a stage and share it with some other big racks and give them that experience. We had loads of entrance. So last year was the first year we did that and we'll probably do it again next year. What I'm also hearing is there is still a huge connection for you back to the home area of Australia where you were brought up. Can you mm. talk to me about that? Myself, my brother and Stephen, the, the bass player, were born in Colac which is sort of right on the edge of the hotways and National Park down there, or Rainforest, whatever you want to call it. The band probably started there just as we were all, been a little bit younger, but further Stephen and I were probably leaving high school was when we were thinking about starting this band, or just after that time. And we would always still go back there to practice, even though we'd be up in Melbourne or wherever we'd be. That's where the band sort of started for me, and it's still connected to Colac. And if we ever have time where we want to go and write a heap of new songs and really focus on that then we'd probably go down there and lock ourselves in a room in my parents house and do that riding there sometimes there's definitely still a big connection to the home the latest single is called instant feeder it is a critique look at um in a way it's, a, it's probably meant to be posting fun at things more than anything else and he, and even at, at us as, as bands sometimes i get i'm I always have to preface this conversation because I've had this with a few people now and I'm going to sound like a grumpy old man when I start talking about social media like this. I find it really annoying sometimes how heavily intertwined music has come with digital media and just how much time a young band has to spend now curating an Instagram feed or keeping a Facebook profile up to date just to make sure the music is successful. It's probably happening now. There's probably music going by the wayside because they don't have an online presence. They don't want to be pushy or put their face out in front of everyone or show 24-hour feed of what's going on at the band's band practice or what's going on at the band's living room or what's going on when the band's having dinner. It's just sometimes a bit much for me as, a, as someone in a band who's responsible for 
running our social media channels, I just wonder why it has to be like that and why music is not being selected totally based on good music. You know, there's all these other factors that are coming into it now. In the end, I'm just having a bit of a laugh at that fact that all these people are so wound up in, in making sure they're broadcasting every 10 minutes of their life into their feed. You said in an interview which dropped in the last 24 hours that it is also a case that older generations, as you were suggesting there, it's a bit of an old person's thing to say, found things shocking like the Charleston. So is it a yeah. case of just working through how to use this new medium of expression? So that was my gra- my grandma. I remember she always used to live with all these old stories. And one of them, have you ever seen the Charleston boy? You know, have you seen that? And she'd be going on about how shocking it is. And she's a she's a Dutch migrant. And she thought people doing that dance was just outrageous, you know, showing too much skin or, or being too provocative or whatever it was. And I'm looking at it. I've looked it up on YouTube and I've gone, well, there's hardly anything wrong with that. And I've seen a lot worse than that now. So reflecting on that, that's sort of where the lyrics for the song came from in a way. That that, that became normalised eventually and we've progressed far beyond that in terms of what people can do in entertainment without being pulled up and maybe the way that we are so intertwined with social media is something that I'm looking at now and going oh, it's shocking and it's frustrating but people in 20 years time we seeing it as just such a it's at, you know maybe it's only a surface level invasion of, of social media now and in 20 years time it'll be so deeply intertwined that Instagram and Facebook will just be like why would anyone ever have been worried about, you know, their level of involvement in people's lives? You're in this pivotal position that that of a musician, as you said, who's trying to use this new interface to actually promote your feelings and your ideas and, and your emotions through music. How does that sort of sit with you? Obviously, it's in the lyrics of the song, but when you, you're there and you're about to post something on social media, what's your gut telling you, Cam? Yeah, it's always uncomfortable because you're like, you're not necessarily posting what, what I think or what what I'm the way that I would talk, but you're posting in the way that you hope to get the most engagement. So, even that sits wrongly with me. You're thinking so much about what you are going to say because it's going to be stuck there, and you don't go, you can go back and change it, but you don't. So it's like you're always on the record. It's a little bit frustrating. You're always on the record as as someone that you're probably not. You're on the record as someone that you're projecting yourself to be or a band that you're projecting yourself to be. Greatest output you should produce is that of your music, of the records, the EPs that you produce. Yeah, I think that's the whole point from my perspective. I, and I find it really frustrating that it's not, what, what can you do? Back, back in the day, you, you'd rely more on a publicist to do all this sort of building for you, but now you're, you're more supposed to be doing it yourself. So maybe it's always been there, but it just wasn't so much the band's responsibility in the past. We're currently in conversation with Cameron Wade. He is the member of The Addicts. He joins us on the back of a brand new single called Instant Feed. The album is said to be a 10-track in the next year or two, probably in 2020. We've always aimed for 10. I think 10 is a nice round number to say I've made an album. There's definitely been a lot more made. We'll get to 10 that we're happy to release. And we've probably finished seven of them. And the timing really only depends on when we can get the last three done. We've been spending, I've been spending a lot of time with our, with our engineer in Geelong mixing recently and we're, we're churning through a lot of, a lot of it at the moment. So hopefully we get the last three done as soon as possible and aim for a release in 
over summer. December would be optimistic, but January or February is probably looking realistic, I think. There's a lot of sort of uh, tracks that I wouldn't consider releasing as singles on there, but, but they're also some of the tracks that I'm proudest of, just that maybe they won't necessarily hit the radio with with an instant sort of, this is, is the, you know, this is a radio-friendly type track, but there's some other sort of, I don't know what you call them, slow burners or quiet songs as well that, that are on there that I'm really happy with, really excited to get out. Are they a little bit longer as well? Is that why you're suggesting maybe not radio? Yeah, a little bit longer, but maybe a little bit more like songs that have got a few minutes of quiet verse at the introduction that the, the radio-friendly songs are more likely to hit a chorus in the first 30 seconds. These ones maybe won't do that. You're working with an engineer in Geelong you mentioned. Who are you working with? What's going on there? Two different people in, in making the songs. One guy that we've been working with for years is an old school teacher that taught my little brother his guitar and took some of his classes at school. Um, and he records all our stuff in the front room of his, his uh, house in the suburbs of Geelong. It's the most uninspiring place to drive into and think I'm going to go and write some music. But it's such a welcoming environment when you get in his house. It's kind of just like recording in, in a bedroom, you know, just so laid back. His name's Isaac Barter. He plays in Canary, a band from Geelong. Yeah, he's fantastic to work with. And then we work with Steve Schramm as well in Sing Some of the Singles. He's got a bit of a, a magic touch on guitar-based pop music, so we like to give him a bit of a go on some of our shorter, more popular tracks. Back to Canary. What's your favourite Canary tune? Canary tracks have always been so interesting. I like listening to them because I always find little surprises in them. But it's definitely not the type of band that I would, would go out and buy the record and fanboy over for ages. But still, there's something exciting about the songs. Uh, it's like they're kind of, you just want to pull them apart and go, how did they do that? Or what were they thinking when they did that? There's something just so intriguing about it. But yeah, I, I don't know what I'd call any of my favorite songs. I, I get such an insight. In, I listen to them all the time. We go around to Zach's place and he's like, oh, I'm working on this mix for this new Canary song. And they write so much music. It's overwhelming sometimes, I think. Uh, they're absolutely brilliant. That conversation with the producer, how comforting is it to uh, share the story through the music with the producer of how you want it to be? Like I said, with Zach, very relaxed and very much like you're recording from a living room. So there's no pressure in asking for direction or giving direction. Either way, it's sort of the most... And I don't know whether that's conducive to great songwriting or not. It's a very comfortable place to work. And the other, the other polar extreme is when we do hand the song across to someone like Steve Schramm and just say, you know, I think this is what this song's like. And you get it back and he can either nail it and, and it sounds exactly like you thought or he's gone a totally different direction. But generally, it's still amazing. You mentioned earlier in our conversation, you head back home quite a bit to get the inspiration, the vibe for writing and producing the songs at a band level. Where else do you find inspiration as a musician these days, Cameron? Probably just from, from listening to a lot of great music. Uh, for the festival, obviously, I spend a lot of time trawling around the internet, figuring out who's releasing what and, and what's new and what's different that people are doing. And that probably inspires a lot of what we're doing. And then probably ideas from a lot of local bands as well. We've managed to get out and see a lot of stuff here in Melbourne on Friday and Saturday night. And you always sort of end up leaving other people's shows feeling inspired to do more or do something different. There's inspiration everywhere and normally it comes in spurts too, I think. You can't just go, I'm going to sit down and write today because sometimes it doesn't work. You've just got to be open to, you might be just noodling away on a guitar and you come up with something and that's going to be a song. You might just record that on the phone and go, I'll come back to that later on. 
What I found with Instant Feed, and, and maybe it's not the case, is it felt like the guitar was the base of the song and then everything else came after, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it, it, well, the guitar riff in the verse came before anything else in Instant Feed, and then I jumped on Ableton and, and wrote the rest of the song around that riff. And it is the only song I think we've ever done like that. There's been songs where I've had chord progressions or vocal melodies or whatever that I've written into chord progressions and then taken them into Ableton to sort of flesh out the idea. But this is the first one where a riff on the guitar has, has sort of guided the whole song. How important are guitars in the band? Different songs to different levels, I think. I always think they're probably the only thing that sort of remains from where the band started. So I think they'll always be there. And I think for performing live, they're kind of critical for vibe as well. But probably the whole setup at the moment is probably the minimum that we could get away with to capture a, a nice live vibe. We tried, we lost a, a drummer, it would have been two or three years back, when we were sort of still playing in that garage rock, psych rock type space that sort of came in parlour were forging the way for at the time. What are some of the social issues that are coming up on this record, apart from, of course, those that have mentioned in terms of instant feed and the background for that? A lot of references to probably relaxing as, as people as well. We have a few songs on there, just lyrical content, encouraging people to sort of take a step back and take a moment and whatnot. And there's another song with reference to social media. Uh, there's, like I said, there's three or four that are, are yet to be finished. So when, when they get to be finished, it's probably because there's no lyrics written and then the lyrics are coming from all over the place. I think the record's taken so long to do. I fear a little bit that it won't be that cohesive thematically, but that music to me sounds like it all sticks together well and fits together as an album. People are going to be, if, if they're actually listening to what the lyrics are going on about, they're going to be jumping from space to space between every single song. How important is that when you're listening to an album that it does have thematic I don't find it important at all. Like musically, an album's got to flow. You know, the songs have all got to work together. You can have one in the middle that wrecks an entire album because it just doesn't fit. But lyrically, I couldn't care less if they're telling a different story on every song. You mentioned about relaxing a little. How do yeah. you relax? People close to me would tell me that I don't. <laughs> We run from the festival straight straight back into doing the band stuff as soon as the festival's up. The only time that I really find myself relaxing, probably gauge it by when, when I finally get a chance to read a book, and that's normally just when I get away on holiday. I don't tend to do much relaxing. <laughs> Makes sense to you writing songs about people relaxing then. Preaching to myself. What book do you normally pick up and read if you get a chance? I've been reading Murakami books for the last couple of years. I think I've read close to 20. Like I said, it's always when I get a chance to go out on holiday and I'll burn through two or three of them in a holiday or or a long weekend or something. Other than that, that's basically all I read until I've gotten through his whole catalogue. I don't know if I'll pick someone else up. Murakami, he's a Japanese author. He writes these really bizarre stories that sometimes I think that I'm understanding what, what he's talking about and then I get to the end of them and I and I decided that I still don't know what he was on about. They're just mind-blowingly unpredictable, and I think I like that about them. Is that also like how you like to live your life as well, a little unpredictable? Maybe in the music that we're making. In my day job, I work as an engineer, so probably the other way around. In that space, very, very predictable. 
talk to us about how you balance those two, the, the creative and the engineering side. Engineering, in a way, is, it, it is creative. You're trying to balance the needs of a lot of people and a lot of stakeholders who, who, who want to get something out of whatever it is you're working on the project. And you have to come up with the creative ways of, of being able to feasibly do that. But, you know, being able to, to build something or make something that, that meets all those requirements that different people are asking of you. So there is creativity in engineering. But I do find that I, I like to start my day at work early and leave early, that at sort of 4.30 I can, I can get out of work and I can come home and, and work on music or work on the festival. And, and, and that, that is then, you know, it is, it is a step up in creativity. So they, they balance. And, and if I didn't work my day job as an engineer, I wouldn't be able to, to indulge in, in being in a band or, or being confident that I could support a festival because sometimes these, these creative spaces don't make the money that they need to, to, to live off. So you need, you need to sort of be realistic in what, what you're doing. If you want to support these things musically, you need to take some time to, to make some money to support it. How long has this festival been going? You said it was a couple of 21st. This year was six. Um, so we're working on 2020, which will be number seven. We've put in a planning permit that will allow us to continue the event for a few more years yet. We have to sort of sit back after each year and, and, and make, a, make a call on, on whether we think it's worth continuing or whether it's taking too much time or how we're feeling about it. So we have to take stock after every event and make the decision. So I don't know how long it will go for. Are you surprised that it's gone six? And I don't mean that in a negative way. Are you surprised? I don't know. I don't know what we thought when we were starting it. I don't know how serious we thought it would get or how big we thought it would get. I'm not surprised because I'm open to where it heads and, and to, to trying to follow it and encourage it to go where it wants to go. I've been absolutely fascinated having a chat to you, Cameron Wade. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time today. No problem. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Cameron Wade, Festival Director of By the Meadow and from The Attics, whose latest single is Instant Feed. Find them online at theaddicts.bandcamp.com. As for the festival, that can be found at bythemeadow.com. You're listening to Radio Notes, and in recent weeks at time of record, are now broadcasting across many radio stations across the United States of America, but released first still as a podcast on a Sunday. A past guest of the show, Rachel Eckroth, has recommended Madison Cunningham. They have a brand new album called Who Are You Now? It was released back on the 16th of August 2019, and I agree, from the single Pin It Down right across the release, a worthy one to put one's ears around. The artist in their early 20s currently is Madison Cunningham. The album is called Who Are You Now? And I'll give you some details in the show notes. Speaking about the show, coming up in the next few episodes, we'll be catching up with Peter Drew, the street artist who right across Australia, America, as well as Glasgow, where they actually graduated, have been putting up posters. We've got some musical guests as well, including Australia's very own Claire Ann Taylor, and we'll catch up with The Making of Coffee in Broken Hill, another instalment of the 2017 chats that were recorded speaking about beverages Our next episode will be with this lady. Fun and healthy beverage. So tea is kind of on trend and with that comes these new kind of possibilities. So in the same way you might have a wine sommelier in a restaurant, there's now study, the next thing that I would undertake after 
tea mastery is becoming a tea sommelier, which is getting really detailed around pairing tea with food. So in the same way that you would match wines with cuisine, you can do the same with tea. I guess we already do it in terms of like high tea menus, but I think it's taking that into everyday restaurants and cafes where tea is given a little bit more respect and is celebrated for what it can really bring into the enjoyment of cuisine. I've actually just been working on a menu for a new Chinese restaurant. So they approached me and said, we want to have a beautiful tea menu, which I just love that. I want more restaurants to be doing that because people want more than a tea bag to finish their night after a beautiful meal. Belinda of Brewed by Belinda shares a cuppa with us next episode and we'll also go in-depth about music and the arts with them. Thanks very much to our special guest this week, Cameron Wade of The Attics and By The Meadow Festival. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.